invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Old Testament book, 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, where we read, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Go lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he got up and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we joined together and, and, and studied the proverb, Proverb 29, 18, that says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no revelation from God, where, where we can't see what God is doing, then the people will perish. And, and we began thinking about what is God's call in the life of this church. And we reflected on our last 10 years in ministry together. And now we're beginning that new phase, this, this new direction. Who is God calling our church to be? What is the call of God for this church in this community? I mean, the opportunities that we have are endless, the, the, the privileges that we have, the, the, the facilities that we have, the campuses that we have, the location, the people in our community. God has set us up with, with amazing opportunities. But with those come some awesome responsibilities. And, and what is this calling? To know that 30% of our community do not have a faith involvement, then, then what does that mean for us as the physical presence of Christ, the church? We talked about our calling and, and the opportunities that we have to be in ministry and mission on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God has, has been blessing us in so many different ways. But then that leads to another question. 
If God is calling this church into a new level of ministry, if God is calling this church to, to the next phase in ministry, if God is calling us to be involved in ministry and mission on behalf of Jesus Christ, what is our particular individual callings within that? For every one of us have been called by God. All of us have received a call by God into ministry. So if people ask, how many clergy, how many ministers do you all have on staff? The answer, 4,500. You're included. Because all of us are in ministry. So what does this look like for us? I love the scripture in 1 Samuel. And I encourage you, if you get the opportunity, and the ball games don't really start till around 3, so you've got a couple hours. You know, is that, you know, take the opportunity to, to read the first couple of chapters in 1 Samuel. Because you're going to meet this beautiful couple by the name of Elkanah and Hannah. And what you learn when you meet this couple is they are so faithful to God. They are regular in their worship. They're regular in their sacrifices. They love God with all of their heart. But, but poor Hannah, she's carrying this burden. She has this passion and desire to be a mother. But, but for some reason, as of this point, she hasn't been able to have her own child. And, and it's, just, it's just eating her alive. And, and her husband loves her so desperately. And, and she's got this burden and this, this passion that's going. So she comes to the edge of the temple one day, standing just outside the, the, the edge of the temple gates. And she starts praying. Oh, she starts pouring her heart out to God. And as she prays, all those emotions begin to flow out. And, and as she's praying so passionately to God, her lips are moving, but there's no sound coming out. It's just her praying to God. But, but you can imagine as you were getting ready to come in to worship and, and you saw somebody just kind of out there and, and they're just all moving and all passionate and, and, and their lips are moving, but no sounds coming out. You might look at them a little interestingly. And, 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 and Eli, the priest, looks at her and makes this major assumption. Look at this drunk. I mean, he just assumes that, that she's been drinking. And, and so he goes up to her and he goes, you're making a spectacle out of yourself. I can't believe, why are you doing this? And, and we need to talk. And, and she looks at him and goes, I'm not drunk. I, I haven't had any strong drink. But I am, I am so burdened and I'm pouring out my heart to God with everything I've got. And she begins to share what's going on in her life. She begins to share what she's feeling and, and this desire. And, and she shares with Eli. She said, you know, I, I even vowed to God that, that if God would bless me with a child, if God blesses me, for example, with a son, then, then I will offer my son as a Nazarite. Now, Nazarite means that, that she's saying, I, I'm willing that, that I will dedicate my son to work for God. Typically, a Nazarite vow is for a specific amount of time. But she's saying, I, I will consecrate my child. For God's ministry. I will consecrate my child that somehow God can use him for God's kingdom. And they pray together and she goes home and, and later she conceives and she has a son and they name him Samuel. Samuel. And when the child is old enough, once the child's been weaned and in biblical times it was somewhere around age three. Now just kind of picture this. She brings him to the temple to dedicate him for service of God. And, and so Samuel grows up actually in the temple of God. I'm just, I, I think about that as I read the scripture. I'm going, I'm not really sure what I would do if, if someday somebody knocked on my door and said, here's my three-year-old, I dedicated him to the temple. He's yours. And, and don't try it. 
But, but Eli recognizes that, that God is doing something because he had, he had had this conversation with her, remember? So, so he had prayed with her. He, he knew her. He knew her vow. And, and he could see God's hand moving. And, and so he, he raises this child there in the temple. Imagine what it was like. And we're told in 1 Samuel 2, 26, that, that the boy Samuel continued to grow in both stature and in favor with God and with the people. We get to chapter 3, the scripture we just read, and, and it's a call story. It's about the calling of, of Samuel, but it's more than that as well. It's about God getting ready to do something new. And, and the scripture tells us right up front that hearing a word from God in those days was rare. And, and to, for God to offer a vision, a revelation, not widespread, almost unheard of. I mean, what that says to us is, is, is there was a spiritual drought going on. People just didn't seem to be connected to God, to be able to hear what God was saying, to be able to see what God was doing. And not only that, we're told then in the next line that, that Eli the priest was going blind. And that's twofold, because one was physically with his age, his eyes were going dim, but it was also symbolic to say, and even the priest had a hard time seeing what God was doing. A word from God was rare, visions were not widespread, and even the priest had a hard time seeing what God was doing right in their midst. It's night. Eli has gone to, to lie down in his room. Samuel is sleeping right there in the temple. We're told that, that the lamp had not yet gone out. And what that tells us is, is that the lamp was burning there within the temple and had enough oil typically to take you through the night. So since it hadn't quite gone out, late, late into the evening, early into the morning. And God calls Samuel. Now Samuel is lying right near the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, it reminds us of the presence of God. Remember how they would, they would move the Ark with them to show God is right there in their midst. Now, in our worship space here, the altar table is typically the center of focus in the life of the church. It reminds us of God's presence. It's the altar of God. It's the place where we recognize God's presence. We have candles here, and the, and the, and the flames are burning to remind us that God is right here in our midst, that God is in our, our presence. We're here in the presence of God. And, and so just imagine that Samuel is lying just right there here in the temple, sleeping, right near the presence of God. And in the middle of the night, early in the morning, God calls him. Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel wakes up, having heard his name called, and immediately goes running to Eli, assuming that Eli the priest is calling him. Because how many of you, when you hear your name called in the middle of the night, go, hold on, I mean, make sure it's not the Lord. Is this the Lord calling? And, and, and so he jumps up and he goes running to Eli and he goes, I'm right here, you called me. And Eli looks at him and goes, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And so he goes and he lies down again. And then the second time, God calls him, Samuel. And Samuel jumps up and he goes running again to Eli. And he goes, Eli, I'm right here. You called me. What do you need? And he goes, I didn't call you. Go lay back down. Then the third time, the third time God calls him, he jumps up, goes running back to Eli. Here I am. You called me again. What do you need? And he goes, I didn't call you. But then Eli begins to realize God is doing something. 
His eyesight was spiritually dim, but not totally blind to what God was doing at this point. Did you catch that? He was still able to see that God was still moving, that God was doing something, and he realized, I think God is calling this young boy. And he tells Samuel, I think the Lord is trying to speak to you. So I want you to go and lie back down. But if he calls you again, this time, don't move. Just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God calls him again. And this time, Samuel responds, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God then reveals, I'm about to do something new. I'm about to do something that will cause the ears of those who hear to tingle. I'm I'm about to do something incredible, but, but for me to do this, I need you to be involved. For me to do this, I need you to be involved. We can imagine the next morning, the very first thing that happens... It is, is when Eli gets up, he comes in there and goes, what did he, what did he say? What did he say? What did he tell you? What did he say? And, and so Samuel doesn't want to tell him. Why? Because the message wasn't great. The message that he had received was, I'm getting ready to do something new and I want you to be involved. And what the new thing is, is I'm about to take over the temple. You see, Jesus cleanses the temple, but it wasn't the first time. God's getting ready to do it here as well. Because Eli's sons, we're told in chapter 2, they're scoundrels. I mean, scoundrels. These young guys had had become priests as well. And and they were taking so advantage of the people that would come to worship. And when people would come and and offer their burnt offerings, their meat offerings before the Lord, well, they just would show up with their knife and fork ready and just take it. And and we we want what we wanted. And they just didn't seem to have any reverence for God, any reverence for the people. And when the people would resist... Well, they would even threaten the congregation. They would threaten the people of God. And they were told that they were having inappropriate relationships with the women that were right outside the temple. I mean, it was just a sad state. But what made it worse was Eli, the priest, knew what was happening and didn't do anything. And so God said, in order for me to do something new, I'm cleansing the temple. We're doing something different. But I'm about to move. I need you. I need you involved. We learn a lot about Eli as well because in verse 18, chapter 3, verse 18, when when he hears this message, he didn't say, oh, that can't be, this can't be true. Actually, Eli goes, yeah, it is the Lord. And let it be done what he seems is good to him. But he's right. It is the Lord. Samuel, he became the last of the judges, the first of the great prophets. Samuel grows up to be this amazing man for God. He, he's the, the prophet who anoints Saul to be the first king over Israel. Then when God calls him to anoint David, he anoints David to be the, the greatest king in all of Israel's. Samuel, an amazing life. But it's a call. I'm getting ready to do something new and I need you to be involved. And that's what God, I believe, is saying now to our church. Getting ready to do something new and getting ready to do something amazing. But to pull this off, I need you to be involved. To pull this off, I need you to be engaged. 
Well, when you, you think about that, you know, that all of us are called, Tom Langford shared, you know, all of us are called to be Christians and all of us are called to be Christian ministers. Well, for us to pull that off, I can hear now going, well, I just want you to know I am not a prophet. Don't go calling me to be a prophet. I am not a prophet. Well, that's fine. You, you might be Hannah or Elkanah. You see, there are different callings for all of us because, you know, God also had a calling for Hannah and, and Hannah's calling was to have this passion to raise a child and dedicate this child to God so that then God could take this child and use this child for the glory of God. We all have different callings. We have different grace. We have different abilities, different things that, that God can do in our lives. But God has a calling for each of us. You know what I think the challenge is, though, for the church today in today's world? And that is to recognize God's call or to even expect God's call. And what I mean by that is when I read the scripture to realize that the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the presence of God and Samuel was sleeping right in front of what is known as the presence of God. He's sleeping right there where God is said to dwell, and yet there was no expectation we'll hear anything from God. There was no expectation that God was going to say anything, do anything, that, that God was just going to maybe hang out, but we're not expecting God to speak in any way. Word of the Lord was rare, visions were hardly heard of, even the priests could barely see spiritually. And so when God called, there wasn't even an assumption. There wasn't even a thought. There wasn't even the fleeting thought, this may be God. It took the third time for the priest to go, you know what? Could be God. And my concern is, is how many times did we come together as the people of God with an expectation that we're going to hear a word from God, that God is going to move in my life, and I will be different? God's going to have a call. I mean, we show up as the body of Christ, and we know the scripture that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm going to be in your midst. Well, there's more than two or three of us here, and we've gathered in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ. So we understand that God is in our midst. But did we get up this morning and come to church with an expectation, I can't wait to get in the presence of God, because God is going to be right there in our midst. I want to hear a word from God, and God may move me. God may give me the opportunity. God may call me and challenge me. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in my life today. I mean, does the church have an expectation today that God is doing anything? Maybe one of the reasons the word of God was rare is people weren't even listening for the word of God. Then maybe the reason visions didn't seem to be widespread is because nobody was really looking to see what God was doing in our midst. One of the things we talk about when Dr. House and the clergy and all the rest of us get together and do worship planning, the thing that we talk about is that our job as worship leaders, our job as clergy, and, and our job you know, trying to, to lead worship on a Sunday morning is to create an environment where you can have an encounter with God. That's our goal, to create an environment where you have an encounter with God. So I think the first thing that we have to do to, to, to hear God's call in our life and to experience God's call in our life is to come with an expectation that God's going to speak. Oh, we were in God's midst. We didn't, didn't expect God to say anything. Samuel was right there in the presence of God. But no expectation that God will do anything. You know what I love about the fourth calling? God calls him Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to Eli. But once, once Eli says, I believe God is calling you, so I need you to go and expect to hear from him. 
And this time when he calls, I want you to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That this time when God called, not only did he call, but the scripture says he actually stood before him. First time called him, second time called him, third time calling. But now that we're expecting, God actually came and stood before him and called his name. I, I just wonder what would happen if the church of Jesus Christ today had an expectation that God is still moving and still doing something in our lives. But I think the other thing too then is to recognize that sometimes when God calls, we really do not want to do what God's calling us to do. And we just have to acknowledge it. Because the last thing, the last thing Samuel wanted to do was to tell Eli what God just told him. He had been his mentor since he was just little. And then the last thing that he wanted to do was tell this man that he loved, this, to tell this priest that had been teaching him and guiding him, to have to tell him this is about what's going to happen. But if you just turn the chapter over to chapter 4, you're going to see that it all comes true because in chapter 4, the Philistines kind of go to war and they conquer. They even take the Ark of the Covenant hostage and all of Eli's kids are killed. Just one page, just turn the page, there's the rest of the story. He didn't want to have to tell him that. Sometimes when God calls us, it's not what we want to do. I, I've shared with you before that, you know, there's, in all my years of ministry, there's only been one time in our life that, that Nancy and I felt that it was, it was time for us to move and transition from one church to another. Only one time in, in 30 plus years of ministry that we said to the district superintendent and the bishop, we believe that this is the right time to transition. But we were serving this church and it was a great church. We loved the church, loved the people, but the church was healthy. Buildings had been built. Everything was solid. Finances were solid. But with where our children were in their lives and, and you know, getting ready to start school here and there, this just seems to be the right time. And so we shared, you know, this is the year we want to move. We, we gave it to the superintendent, shared that with the congregation. You know, we just want to be honest with you. We feel like this is the time. Cabinet meets, bishop meets. Then all of a sudden I get this phone call back one day and it said, and, and here's what the superintendent said. He goes, you know, we prayed about it, we talked about it, and, and you're not moving this year. And I said, are you in your office? He said, yes. I said, I'm on my way. I mean, I didn't ask, can I come? I just said, I'm on my way. I mean, I was a little younger at the time and, and, and didn't realize consequences like I know today. And so I just, you know, I drove the 45 minutes over to his office and, and went in and waited for him to have a moment. And, and I went inside and I said, what do you mean I'm not moving? Every church that I've served has grown. I work night and day. I do this and this and this and this for the church. And I do this. And the one time that we ask, the one time that it's right for our family, we don't move. Well, and he went through, you know, we discerned. Yada, yada. And I said, well, you know what I find interesting about your discernment is, is here's this colleague friend of mine. His father is a Methodist minister. He's moving. My dad's a diesel mechanic. I'm not. He's going, whoa. I told you I was young and naive. He goes, I sure hope that you don't share with your congregation the same kind of passion and, and feelings that you're sharing with me right now. And I said, why would I share that with my congregation? I don't have a problem with my congregation. My problem's with you. Yeah, that's a wonder I still have a job. I, I will tell you that I did end up calling back the week later saying, you know, I prayed about it, thought about it. Here am I, send me, you know, just kidding, didn't mean it, love you. you know. <laughs> but it was a difficult time because I, I couldn't see what God was doing. But you know what really happened as Nancy and I look back on it? That next year was an important year in the lives of those churches. 
So, you know, my will and God's will, we sometimes bump up against each other. And, and, and I couldn't see from the perspective that I was in, but then later when you look back, you go, you know, that was, an, that was a pivotal transitional year in the life of the church. So then later we're serving at Oak Ridge, just above Greensboro. Great church, love the church. Church had tripled in attendance. We expanded the sanctuary, built a new education building, office building, master plan, expanded the preschool. I mean, God was doing some incredible, amazing things in the life of the church. We get a phone call one morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. Superintendent goes, are you sitting down? Well, yeah. He goes, we need you to move. We want you to move to Mooresville. Not on the list. Not planning to move. Not in the cards. He goes, we need you to move. And we need to know by noon. It's 10 in the morning. I get in the car, and, and I go up to the elementary school where my wife is working, and, and on the way there, I call my brother who lived near the Mooresville area, and I said, tell me about the school system on this side of the town. And, and he goes, well, if you're on that side, of the, great schools, you should be fine. I get there, I pull her out, I go, you know, guess what? I get this phone call, and we now have about an hour to respond. What do you think? And we end up moving to Mooresville. I mean, it wasn't in the cards, wasn't in the plans. Then we're in Mooresville. Been there about seven years. God is blessing, doing some things. The church had grown, built a 1,200-seat sanctuary, new education space, great staff team. Everything's going well. Church is solid. Long-range master plan. Everything's going great. I go to breakfast one day in October. You don't think about it in October because, you know, Methodists don't think about this stuff until March, February, March. And, and, and so, you know, here I'm sitting with a bishop. It's October. And, and, and he looks at me and he goes, I'm about to give you apoplexy. And I said, why is that? And he goes, I need you to move to Weddington. I said, what? <laughs> he said, I need you to move to Weddington. Because, you know, there's some things that are happening. This is a mid-year move. We're, we're talking effective February the 1st. You know, and, and we had that conversation because, you know, this wasn't a good time for our kids. You know, our, our son was, was in his sophomore year of high school. And I remember... I remember watching a sophomore look at us and go, you do what you need to do to make this go away. <laughs> right? I mean, he was not a happy camper. But here we are 10 years later. You see, the problem with God's calling in our lives is that we can't always see what God is doing, and sometimes we have to step out in faith. And when we look back, we can see what God is doing. But when we're standing here looking forward, it's not always as clear. So I think sometimes the reason we're not obedient to God is because when we can't see it, it's tough. I just believe that, that God has an amazing future for this congregation. And God is saying, I, I, I'm doing something new, but for us to pull this off, you're going to need to be involved. So I'm calling you. And each one of us have a calling by God. It's different. Our callings are different. The gifts and grace that God has given to us are different, but every one of us can contribute to God's calling and God's vision and God's mission and God's ministry and God's purpose and in this community. So here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to expect to hear a word from God. I want to encourage you to expect to hear God call so that God can then come to you and call you. And when God calls, you might want to try this. 
Say something like, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And to hear what God is calling you to be and to do. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, we are the body of Christ. But then he adds, and individually members of it. I need all of you to be involved. And then when God calls to be able to say, here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. And I will hold your people in my heart. Will you pray with me? God, you call us to be your church. Individually, to be the Christians and disciples. Together, to be the body of Christ. And God, we believe that you have a calling for each and every one of us. The challenge is for us to expect to hear a word from you. So God, we pray that we would be willing to listen. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then give us the faith and the courage to say, here I am, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn, number 593, Here I Am, Lord. I have heard you calling in the night. Will you stand as we sing?